The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. And this is the Pat Kenny Show with Anton in for Pat. And sitting in front of me is a man with one of the most interesting personal life stories. And, a, I mean, a fairly harrowing and extraordinarily tough way to begin a life story. But he's now one of Ireland's most successful artists. He is Kevin Sharkey. We were talking during the break, Kevin. You have no interest in sort of history of art or the, the technicalities of art or any not of that. Not the slightest, no. No, when you come from Killybegs, it's not really, a history of art isn't high on your your list of sort of subjects. And I didn't have any classes. I never went to a gallery. I never, there was one painting in our house when I was growing up of an old Scottish farmer with a dead elk on the back of a, a horse with two arrows sticking out. It was bloody terrifying, but that was the only painting I'd ever... I'd ever seen. So the art world was never really somewhere that I thought I'd end up. And even once you're in that world, I mean, I suppose it's it's a bit like a self-taught musician. You don't get an, an urge at a certain point to say, I want to learn to read music. You don't, you don't now want to learn the technical aspects of the profession that you've taught yourself. No, that's an interesting question because um, I wrote, me, I, I was a songwriter for a while and I wrote with um, Pete Brigette from the Boomtown Rats. I wrote for Bob Geldof, I wrote for Boney M, I wrote some theme music. But to this day, because I'm dyslexic, I couldn't find my way around a keyboard. I, I can do it by ear, but I wrote over 100 songs from the ear. And I think with art, because it's such an instinctual thing for me, the history of it doesn't interest me. The doing of it is what is is what I'm all about. And do you have any sense of, and I don't mean this rudely, do you have an inferiority complex because there are other artists who have that technical education that you don't? Or you think, go away, lads, I'm, I'm your equal. <laughs> Listen, I'm the boss. No, the truth is um, about inferiority complex. I, when I was young, I used to try and figure out how do you, be, how do you become confident? And I think I learned very early on that sometimes confidence is just the absence of fear. And my background and my childhood, there was fear involved in it, but I think it reset my buttons. So as an artist now, you know, I I have collectors of Francis Bacon, uh, two Picasso collectors have bought paintings from me. And when these guys start to add you to the collection, the first thing is you're the only guy in there that's alive. Everybody else is dead. But also it elevates you to a place where people look at your work differently and they take it seriously. And if you speak to these guys, and I, I did ask them, why would you buy my work? when you could afford anything. And they all say the same thing. I've never seen anything like it before. And I didn't know that that was an important thing in the world of art. But apparently, if you teach 100 people how to paint a bowl of fruit, they're all going to paint pretty much the same bowl of fruit. But if you just give somebody the material and let them do it the way they want to do it, then you're much closer to hitting on something original. Now explain to me why your work is not rife with anger and resentment because your starting position, I would have thought, is the kind of beginning in life that would be very difficult to shake off. The first painting I ever did was, um, I was adopted at six months old and the family that adopted me at 12 and a half, they sort of contrived to send me back into the care system, which I went back to at 12 and a half into a children's home again. So... For me, as a, as a child, I didn't... But, sorry to cut across you. That's the bit, Kevin, that I find so extraordinary. You say that with a certain ease at this point, mm-hmm. but a family adopted you as their child mm-hmm. and at the age of 12, rejected you. Sent me back. Yeah, they changed their mind. Heartbreaking for, for a child because in that moment, 
your childhood, it's like a record being scratched. Your childhood ends because you lose your family, your friends, your dog, your teddy bear, your neighbours. And it was such a dead end that for me, I was so traumatised by it when I got to the, the children's home after about six weeks. This lovely woman, I, think, I don't know if she's still alive, called Anne Gannon. She was a day worker. And she came in one day and she said to me, um, I hate to see you crying. You haven't stopped crying since you've arrived here. I brought you something that might cheer you up. And she gave me a little canvas pad and some paints. And I thought, well, okay, I'll give it a try. So I painted this little picture. I still have a, paint, a photograph of it somewhere. But when I finished, it was this incredible light bulb moment where I realized I wasn't sad for 25 minutes. I wasn't lonely for 25 minutes. And it was like finding a portal into a creative healing space, if that's not too fancy a way of saying it. So I painted for years. I, I never kept them. I threw them away because the value for me wasn't in the finished product because I never, I didn't understand the value of art. The value for me was being able to find a way of dealing with the inner sadness that came as a result of, of, of what happened. But how do you fully resolve that? I mean, people look back at their own childhood traumas about a moment that they were betrayed at a moment they think a parent let them down or didn't mm. The, the scale of betrayal to have your family simply dispose of you. How do you get to a point where you say, OK, I can let that go? Forgiveness. Because the power of that is not so much just for them, but for me. And the thing was, the thing was Anton, I loved my mother from the day I met her till the day she died. It never changed. The treatment that I received from her was cruel at times, um, vicious mental cruelty, physical cruelty. But it, she was my mother. And she was a remarkable woman, my mother. She wasn't, it wasn't all about the bad things that happened, you know. And she was a woman raising seven kids on her own back in the day when that's what women did. The men put the food on the table. So I had to forgive her in order to, so that I didn't end up bitter and angry and resentful. And it was the best thing I ever did. It was a hard thing to do. And I didn't fully know at that point if I really could do it. But I knew I had to make the first step. And the sad part of it was that she never forgave herself. And did you get to that point on your own? Did you get counselling? Did you have somebody? Oh, I got the lot. I mean, I, you know, (laughs) Jesus, I had the lot because, you know, I knew very early on that I was going to have to do some haymaking in order to get through this and that I wanted to be able to. I'd seen enough examples of bitter, angry people who took childhood trauma to the graves with them and it, it rules and destroys their life. For me, the music, being a chef, being creative, I, very early on I figured, no, this is a very good frequency for me because when I'm creative, I'm in the moment. I'm not worried about the past. I'm not worried about the future. I'm present. And I think for me that the ability to be able to do that has been amazing. You described art literally for art's sake, that, that the creative process was your escape and it was that moment that you weren't sad. You worked as a chef. You worked in music. You kept art going through that period. At what point did you think, hang on a minute, I could sell this and this could be the living. (laughs) There was an exact moment and uh, I started at 12 and a half and I painted for years, but I would always just throw them out. Again, as I said, I didn't realise the value, but I met a guy in London um, who knew everything about art and he came to dinner and there was a hole in one of the windows in the kitchen and I put a painting up to stop the rain coming in and he spotted it and got very curious about it and asked me, do you have any others? And I was like, yeah, there's some in the field next door and there's some underneath the stairs. So I got them out and let him look at them. And this guy got very, very excited. And I asked him why. And he said, because I've never seen anything like this before. And I didn't understand then how relative that was to success. But now, having sold over 10,000 paintings, I can see that people... 
you know, when I grew up, art used to be for the wealthy people and the Protestants and the English. There was no really Irish art as such. But now people have embraced it much more like the, the purest hit when I say this, but furniture. You know, they have a beautiful homes. They're very neutral now. And they think, you know what? We need, wow, we need a really contemporary piece just to set everything off. So they think Sharky. And that's, that's a lovely place to be. How do you then balance the business side of it with the art for art's sake side of it? If mm. you know, if I paint this, I can sell this, this will help pay the mortgage. Does that take the sort of the, the creativity and the, the escapism away from it? Does it become work? No, no, that's a good point, because I think what a lot of artists are never taught in college and school is that you can be an artist, you can be a great artist, you can be an average artist, but you're going to have to learn to be a shopkeeper or find somebody who will do that for you. And that involves looking after customers. Like I I bring paintings to people's houses to let them try them out. They send me photographs of their house and the wall they have in mind. I will send them Photoshop and send them five or six suggestions. They come to you with size requirements, budget requirements. So if you don't learn to sell your work, you better find somebody else to do it. So the secret is you're not an artist every day, but you have to be a shopkeeper someday. And you don't see that as beneath you. In the, I remember years ago, I happened to be in the studio, of, uh, who was then the the world's he was the highest paid living artist, Rauschenberg. And mm. th- there was a sort of a sense of complete ethereal elitism <laughs> that he did this wonderful creative work and then disappeared into the clouds and you never saw me. You don't feel sort of grotty having to do the sales bit. Listen, when somebody gives you 10 grand for a painting, that's the last thing you're feeling. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not beneath me at all. In fact, to be honest with you, Anton, it's a privilege because, you know, I go into some of these houses and I know the minute I walk in the door, I'm the first and probably the last black man that's ever going to come through the front door. But you're there and you're in, you're part of their world for a while and you see the beauty of what they've done to their homes. And it's lovely to be a part of that and to be, to be made a part of that is an honour. While we're talking about the shopkeeping, the shop is on... Dawson Street, Royal Hibernian Way. So and open... Seven days a week. So if people want to add to the list of the 10,000, that's where they can find you. <laughs> Kevin, it has been a great pleasure uh, talking to you. And if you want to see uh, any of Kevin's uh, social media, he is at Sharky Artist. And obviously he is findable in the gallery in Dawson And the Street. website is kevinsharkyart.com. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk.